You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. So I mentioned before we're in the book of Genesis, we're in chapter 11. This is the Tower of Babel. Um, before the Brad Pitt movie in 2006, um, Genesis 11 existed, and it talks about this tower that the humans built. To the very end of this segment we've been looking at uh, in Genesis where... Um, Pretty much since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve took the apple, the fruit rather, I always say the apple, when, when they took the fruit, um, everything began to fall. That's the theological term for just kind of um, uh, what happens when we rebel against God and all the downhill effects of that. Uh, but the fall doesn't just stop there, does it? Like as you've read, like Cain and Abel, you know, turn the page from there and then Lamech and the city of Cain that comes out of that and then just the, the just plethora of generations that the Bible so you know, avidly and uh, explicitly says are dying and dying and dying. I mean, the, the fallout of the fall is, is bigger than just the fruit. Like, it's, it's, it's wide, it's wide you know, uh, escaping and, and broad, and, and, it, and it means so much, you know, in many dimensions of life. And so Genesis 11 is supposed to be this epitome of this, um, of the fall, the, the, the Tower of Babel, which is the beginning of Babylon, um, the, nature, the nation that the Bible uses throughout time to show what an upside-down Garden of Eden would look like to its fullest extent. I mean, if it were to become deeply embedded and become widespread in system and, and methodology and military, this is what, what the Bible's trying to, to show. And so uh, I thought about my dear son, uh, Alec. Alec's not in here. Uh, Leo, my second son, is here. But Alec is my third son. And um, Alec is a Lego lover. Any of you guys have Lego lovers or know a Lego lover? They're special. Hang on to them. You need a Lego lover. There's, they're doing more than just Legos. And, and Alec is a Picasso of Legos, man. And he does it, like, with passion, you know? Uh, you know, I was talking about Michael Jordan plays basketball and Picasso, you know, does art. And, and Alec loves Legos. He, for the last couple of Christmases, has asked for, like, 5,000-piece Lego. I mean, it's just, he's like, what does that say? The age is 32? Buy that one for me. That, you know, like, the expected age? Like, get that one for me. I want thousands. I want all of the Legos. And, I want my, and he just, do 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 he opens, I mean, he's like throwing away all the pajamas on Christmas and he's throwing away, you know, the slippers and all the other cowboy dolls. And then he opens up his Legos and phew, he gone. For the rest of the 25th, you're not seeing him until like the 27th. He's in the workshop just making things. He's in the lab just putting things together, taking it apart, putting it together. The bane of the Lego maker is a Lego breaker. Amen. Uh, every house has a Lego maker, has a Lego breaker. Could be an animal, could be a pet, could be a dad. I don't know, could be something. But Legos don't tend to stay together. They tend to deteriorate over time. And uh, we have a three-year-old son who's um, Alex, the next youngest son, Oliver, is a Lego breaker. He's a smasher. He just smashes every Lego that he can see because it's his job, I guess. I don't know. There's some things that build up and some people that tear down, and he's a tear downer. I'll tell you that. Uh, and uh, and I'm, a, I'm a Lego stepper on her. I don't know if that's a thing, but I feel like I... Am I like, I feel like there's shrapnel in my foot and I'm getting ambushed. I step on it. The pain level is intense. Um, uh, and Kyra is a Lego organizer. Um, uh, we separated the Legos one time by color um, for about 25 hours. I mean, could have collected a full paycheck and uh, that did not last long. Um, Kyra wants to create a, an invention. Um, you could steal her idea because I'm putting it up here for free. But uh, and a, Lego, a Lego organizer. It's not made by Adobe. And uh, it just vacuums, as I've understood, vacuums all the Legos and then just organizes them. Wouldn't that be awesome? Man, who cares about iPads? That's what I want to see. Um, so, so you're reading the, the, the story, and we'll read through it in a moment, but like, is God just like knocking over people's Legos in the story? Like, you know, you read, read through it, and what, you're, what we'll see is, you know, 
the humans are going to kind of gather together in this place called China, and they're going to begin to build this building. they got these bricks, this new invention. It's like really sophisticated, non-Adobe invention. They build up these, this, this, uh, this tower uh, to the heavens, it says, to make a name for ourselves. And, and God comes down, it says, and, and he kind of scatters the people and scatters their plans. And you're, and you're like, man. He says, he says something like, um, if, if, if the people can do this in one language and one culture and can build this tower, there's no limit to what they can do. And so he, he scatters their plans. You're like, man. Just sounds kind of like a bully move, you know? Like, why would you come down and, and scatter what the humans have built? And I think there's a little bit more of a sophisticated message, and I think that's our, our intent today is like, what's going on with this with this passage? So uh, it says in uh, in Genesis chapter 11, uh, verse six, it says, "Now the whole world had one language and had a common uh, speech." So we skipped a, a chapter. If you were here last week, we skipped over chapter 10 uh, because I'm planning on summarizing it here, but basically chapter 10 is called uh, the Table of Nations. And uh, if, you ch- if you turn the page, one page backwards, and you see chapter 10 left of the Tower of Babel, the Table of Nations uh, lists uh, the origins of every, every tribe and tongue and nation that we deal with uh, in the scriptures, and then as the Bible is making a claim, where all nations originate from. <clears throat> Even before, you know, the, the platelets of the hemispheres moved and things like that. They were all in one place and they all had one language. But chapter 11 happens and then chapter 10 is kind of the epilogue of what chapter 11. So it's a bit of a reversal just to um, give you some explanation. Because it says specifically in chapter 10 that there were many clans and many tribes and many nations. They had many languages, which is not what chapter 11 says. And so what we're seeing is chapter 11 causes chapter 10 to happen. The, um, the ongoing generational um, exponential growth of Sham, Ham, and Japheth, three sons from Mount Ararat that came out of Noah, start to have all of these, these nations. These nations, there's exactly 70 nations. Exactly 70 nations are listed in chapter 10 in the table of nations, and that's an important number anytime you see seven, um, because what essentially is going to happen in chapter 12, we'll get to next week, is that Abraham is called out of those nations to build a new kind of nation. Him and his wife Sarai were barren, and so they essentially have a whole entire set of nations that shouldn't have been born. Nations that came out of miracles, not out of just man doing his effort. And so the table of nations is what we have before Abraham. And uh, so the Tower of Babel um, originates in this place called Shinar. It says, uh, well, in verse 1, I'll read it one more time. It says, the whole world had one language before chapter 11. uh, And and languages and the nations all come out of this. It was his idea to have nations and tribes and tongues. In verse 2, it says, as people moved eastward, which is never a good direction in the biblical narrative, they found a place called Shinar, and settled into it. East was where Adam and Eve went when they sinned, and they moved out of the garden. It says specifically they were moved to the east, and when Cain kills Abel, it says that Cain is even moved to a city further east of uh, the place that Adam and Eve were. And so east uh, or down, for for the reference, is never the right direction. It's always moving away from the garden. Um, East means um, further away from from God's presence, his promise, the things that that were provided in, in the Garden of Eden. And so that's verified uh, in chapter 10. If you're there, verse 10, I'll just read the one segment that has to do with Shinar, this one location. It says, The first centers of the kingdom of Babylon, which I mentioned before, Uruk, Akkad, and Kelna, Shinar. Um, from this land came Assyria, which, you know, military leaders, um, both in the Bible and history, obviously, Assyria is a major empire. Military leaders today, when they're asking the question, how are we going to go dominate some little country and take all of its resources and suck it dry of all of its power and so forth, military leaders will go back to the Assyrians. They were just the Picasso of war back then. I mean, they were just these mean, you know, terrible, crazy warriors. And so Shinar is the place that they come from. Nineveh, which is not just a place in Veggie Tales, Nineveh is also the site of um, the Jonah um, story, uh, is also not a very god- godly place. 
uh, Rehoboth, Kala, Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala. So Babylon, Assyria, and Nineveh are, are not the best places, and, and so the Bible's trying to cue you into the fact that Shinar is um, not the place of greatest notoriety. Okay, so the people are there, and they say to themselves, hey, we got these bricks. Let's build us a city. Verse 3, it says, uh, come, let's make bricks. It's really sophisticated. We're really cool. We have these bricks. He says, let's bake them thoroughly, and let's use brick instead of stone. So a small amount of real estate here in this passage. It's only, what, 11 verses, and they're like, really on the bricks, man. We're talking about the bricks and the Legos, and <laughs> this is a big deal. We got the bricks. We got it. We, hey, we got the bricks. You know, everything's got to revolve around that. So we're going to build something with these bricks. He says specifically that they're, they're not stones. And it says, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. This is important. So I'm going to read it pretty thoroughly because we've got to try and catch. Like the Bible's trying to explain what the humans are doing and the purpose of the project. Like what's going on? They said, uh, hey, we're going to build a city. We're slap our name on it. We want to have this city that is named after us. And this tower is going to reach up to the heavens. And it says, um, because of this tower, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to have a legacy. We're going to um, matter. We're going to have significance. And uh, it says, otherwise, we're going to be scattered over the face of the earth. Okay. So when you look at the passage, and you've been with us in Genesis 1, uh, you've got to go back to the job description. If there's anything in Genesis, it's the blessing, it's the purpose statement, and it's also the curse and the negative side. You've got to, you're watching that. You're always watching that. The purpose of man is to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. And give yourself a thought, like, like, like how on the report card are they doing at this point, you know? Are, are, they, are they succeeding? Are they, are they becoming the image of God that they were meant to do? Are they imaging God well? That's always the question as you watch the story uh, unfold. And, and so when you read the Tower of Babel, like, it's not the worst thing in the world that you see. Like, they're using human ingenuity. In, Ge in Genesis chapter 10, it mentions, you know, onyx stone and gold and minerals and rivers. And what the, the chapter is trying to explain to you in that Garden of Eden before the curse is that um, in the ground were, were uh, substances and raw materials that were supposed to be manifested into subduing and ruling, engineering, late, you know, making the latent potential of the, of the earth as much as it could be. Like, this is what God has commissioned man to do, is to uh, proceed the, the project and, and take a garden and turn it into ultimately a city. So a city is not necessarily a bad thing. And building something in technology is not, is not a bad thing either. And so, and so you have this kind of positive thing. And then it says we're going to make a name for ourselves. And making a name for yourself isn't also you know, necessarily a negative thing. If you think about Genesis 12, one of the promises that God gives to Abraham, ultimately going to be God's family in the earth and, and the hope for bringing back the garden into the world. Uh, he says, I'm going to give you, he says to Abraham, a, a new name. Abram, Abraham's name used to be Abram, and, and God gives Abraham a name, a place of significance. He says, look at the stars. You see all those? Doo -doo 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 -doo. You know, um, these are going to be your descendants. And, uh, and, and, and you, I know you're barren, I know you're old, but I'm going to multiply you in this generation, and you're going to have a name in the stars. But it's not going to be necessarily a name that you give yourself or that your dad gave you. It's going to be a name that I give you. And so there's this thing about naming. And lastly, it says, um, yeah, we're going to make... A, a tower that reaches up to the heavens. I mean, the whole, the, whole, the whole process so far has been about to get back to the presence of God. I mean, it's God's space and man's space that we're dwelling together. And when we ate, we ate the fruit, it wasn't just about the fact that, you know, now we're out with the jackals and things. It's the fact that we're not in the presence of God. And so wanting to be with God isn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, I see myself in, in the passage, honestly. And maybe you see yourself as well. Like, um, I, uh, let's see, we got our first house. It was like, I think we got the stimulus check from both... Uh, Bush Jr. and Obama. We got both of those. So that was a good time to get a house. And uh, it was in uh, Simpsonville. And you get the key and you open it and it's empty. 
And you're like, whoa, like I could build whatever I want. And this is my, this is my house. You know, I could stay up when I want to and do what I want. No, that's not. It's like, I, I'm, I want to build a home. I want to get, I want to get something, a couch in here. And I want to, I could see the flowers and the gardening here. And I want to get the lawn to look like the way that it is. There's nothing wrong with that. I remember when I got my first classroom as a, as a high school teacher. I'm like, I can just put the desks wherever I want. Like on Monday and Tuesday, it's like, I can, I can rule over this place and I can make it great. You know, I could choose the posters and I could choose the lesson plans and I, and I can, I could build something. I mean, we're builders, right? Uh, I, I, I remember like I'll, every now and again, you know, that Google access thing when people are like asking you if you can get passwords and permissions to your Google docs, cause it's all confounded and all that kind of thing. I can still have like really smart, uh, kids from old AP classes from, from other uh, states, I guess, asking to get access to this website because I remember I would just pour myself over this website because I wanted to have the best possible website. And it's like, we're builders and there's nothing wrong with necessarily building. And, and, uh, but I also see a sense of, of wanting to put uh, myself at the center versus God at the center. Um, I could see how, for example, if, if having kids is about you know, extending God's name and, and seeing God's glory, I could totally see how I would raise my kids or choices that I make with my children that want to accentuate my name, you know? Like, it's less about helping, you know, Leo to be uh, a basketball player if he wants to be a basketball player and more about me, like, helping him do the thing that I could never do, you know what I mean? Like, I could see, I could see the fine line of that. And I think that's what the tension is drawing out here is that humans are builders, but it's asking the question, as you build, do you ever ask, should you build? If you can build, does it, did you ever ask the question, should you build it? And if you build it, what are you building it with? And if you build it, what are the specs you're building it to? That's the question. Because the humans are building, and they're certainly busy. And we wake up with our plans, and we wake up with our ambitions, and we wake up with problems that need to get fixed. And, and what it's saying is that humans have always done this, and will always do this. And you're always doing this, and always have done this. Is we're always moving, we're always building. But I think the question becomes from this passage, like, what are you building when you put your hands to something? And what means are you using to build the building with? I want to focus on the bricks for a second, because the bricks are important. You saw earlier in the earlier verse, I think it's three and four, it like mentions the bricks twice. We're going to build the bricks. And then it says it's, they're going to build with bricks and not stone. It's really important because actually in the Bible, as you go through the pages of the rest of the book, God builds a lot of buildings like the temple and the wall and sometimes different monuments to remind God's people of like what his plans and purposes are. And one thing he makes very, very clear about all those buildings, uh, he gives a lot of specific in, you know, instructions about what to build it with and the gold and, and the cubits and how high and how big. And one of the things that you'll never see God build with is bricks. You ever notice that? God doesn't build the bricks. And in fact, he commands that we build with stone, or the Old Testament people would build with stone. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7, he uh, commands uh, Solomon to build the, the first temple. <clears throat> Actually, Solomon's ideal, and God, God approves it and anoints it. But nonetheless, the first temple is built by King Solomon, David's son. And in verse 7, he gives this specific instruction. In the building of the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. He says, when you go ahead and on this construction site, I shouldn't hear a hammer. There should be no hammer. There should be no like chisels. There should be no kind of man-made, um, artificial, synthetic brick building or, or changing of the, of, the, of the stones. You're building with stones and not bricks, and, and God makes stones. Men build bricks, but God makes stones. And he's like, well, we're not going to do it with the, with the bricks. We're going to do it with the stones. Every time with the stones. When you do the memorials, do it with the stones. When you build the, the tower, when, um, when, uh, when, they rebuild, when they rebuild the tower in, in the book of Nehemiah, stones. He says, no hammer, no chisel, no iron t- a tool will be heard at the temple site while it's being built. And, and there's no even mortar. But you have this picture of the temple, of the, of the building of these stones. That, you know, the Bible uses them as metaphors and talks about them as living stones. But it's these stones that are <coughs> cracked and creviced just in these certain ways. 
you'd find them, you know, in the quarry is what it's saying. And, and they're, they're, it, they are the way they are because they're supposed to be that way. And, and, and the architect, if they do well by God, is going to take these stones the way they are and not change them and manufacture them, not synthesize them, not mass produce them, not engineer them. You're just going to use the stones as is and you're going to use the stone to build up this wall. So, so here's a picture, uh, for example, to visualize there uh, of the west wall in Jerusalem. This is the second temple and it was... Uh, built under um, some ruler, I can't remember the name now, but um, this was the temple that was um, existing in Jesus' day, and he would have pointed to this temple and to some of his um, some of his disciples as well as to some of his critics and say, "Hey, this temple, I'm going to like tear it down and build it up in three days." And that's one of the things that got him uh, crucified. But if you look at the, the stones, none of them are the the same. Beautiful, right? Beautiful. I mean, bricks are expensive. You go to the dentist's office and. You know, they've got a lot of great, you know, buildings there and the bricks are all uniform and things like that. But that's not what we're doing here with the bricks, right? With the stone, the stone is this beautiful, unique story that's being, you know, told and it's just built in just this way. And, and it would take the craftsman, wouldn't it? Like if you were to build it, it would take you a lot of extra effort. Then you know, bricks, just put them together. But the stone has got this kind of, they're different and jagged and different colors. And you got to think like, 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 you know, Alec calls it a, a, a master Lego builder. How am I going to get that stone to like fit? You know, oh, it doesn't work. Maybe take it down and build it up. And he says, "This is how I'm building. This, this is how I'm building. It's okay. It's nothing, nothing wrong with building your house with brick. I got bricks on my house. But God's saying, like, when I'm building something, I want you to know, like, I'm, I'm building it with stone. Quick history uh, photo next to kind of contrast it. So this is a picture of uh, <clears throat> Third Reich um, Germany. So what? How many people? How many thousands of people out there? Right, like. They called Hitler like just an engineer of, of human, you know, energy. Like what? Like how did you, I mean, honestly, you know people, right? Have you worked with the public? Have you dealt with people? People like don't do this. You know, how do you get that many people under one language and one culture? How would you do that? How do you build a building of people? How, did, how, how would somebody, and it's not just Hitler, you know, like you look at the history of the 20th century, it's, it's Mao and it's, it's Stalin and it's Mussolini and it's like, it's a whole like uh, a trend of humanity, you know, evil part of humanity ultimately, of people using propaganda and force and fear in some ways twisted religion to try and get people to be united under one world order. And God, God got it, he got it done. You know, look at, I mean, you have to think about this, like they, they built it. But is this, is this truly, like, you know, the God talks about oneness and unity quite a bit in the, in the scriptures. Is this God's vision for unity in the world? I mean, obviously not. You're new to church. You're new to this place. Doesn't take a theology degree to say, no, that's probably not exactly what God intended. There was one language and there was one culture, and that was ultimately Hitler's end goal to see one world order. And he believed that was the, 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 counter, the, the, the centerpiece of, of what would bring humanity in, into its future. And so we take the, the picture down, but... But God's not building with bricks, he's building with stones because, because people ultimately are not bricks. They're, they're living stones is what the Bible talks about. And, um, and human engineering and, and all of our ability to advance and organize, the same way that we build up buildings with our widgets, you know, and apps with our, with our you know, um, intellectual properties and our, and our computer coding, you know, skills, like can't build what God builds in people. And, and, and God is looking at something, when he thinks about his church, way different from what the Third Reich is. The Third Reich is not about unity, it's about uniformity. And its mortar is about fear. The thing that brings it together is not the hand of God, but it's about me becoming like somebody else to fit into a mold so that I can have value and worth. That's what the whole ethos of the thing 
is built with. God's saying, I'm not building that kind of a thing. I'm not building something where, somebody's, where everybody's a fan of somebody else. And I'm not building something where everyone's forced into the, the boxes and, and into uh, you know, just the, the legalistic external rules of the system. I want to build from the inside out. I want to set somebody alive. I want to find somebody and put them into a family so that it's just the right way that, that the colors and the shapes and the sizes and the nations would all proclaim my glory. The, the reality is, is that the nations aren't a concession plan for humanity. Like, oh, the humans didn't get along, and so now we have to deal with the fact that some people are speaking Italian and some people are speaking French. It was his plan that many nations and many tribes and many colors would have to lean on God and find unity in the middle of a confusing, sometimes tumultuous history and find unity under the one king, which is Jesus. This is God's vision for the future. And so this is what happens. Verse five it says, the Lord came down. I just picture God kind of getting a stair step or a ladder out. What y'all doing down there? You know? I love how it's like the highest achievement up to this point of man. God's like got to like look down and like get down on his hands. And he's like, what y'all doing? What's that little tower? We're so big. We're going to go build a tower up to the heavens. I'm going to put my name in lights and people will remember me forever. God's like, what y'all doing? Oh, that little cute little tower. Oh, was that a little flag? Was that a sandcastle? Oh, that is so sweet. Did you build that? For- oh, you didn't build that for me? Oh, you know. And so he comes down there and, and, and you know, the conversation happens. And uh, so it says the Lord comes down. He wants to see. What's all this commotion about? As if he doesn't see it. Um, it says, oh, there's a tower and there's a building. And the Lord says, oh, okay, problem. He says, if, it says, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, he says, uh, that's not going to be good because he says, then nothing they plan will be impossible. So I'll read that again. It says, uh, if one people speaking the same language will have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible. And he goes and, and ultimately scatters this plan. So, so what is the problem? I mean, we want to look at the, the passage and make sure we understand, like, it's not good guys versus bad guys. Like, nothing in the passage says that the people building the tower are, maybe it insinuates that they're ambitious, but it doesn't say that they're corrupt. I mean, that language is clearly used in Genesis 6, that they were corrupt, the people were, were, were wicked in their ways. It doesn't say any of those things. It just says that they had this plan, and they had these bricks, and they went ahead and built something. And, and then ultimately, down the road, it became really wicked because it became the site of Babylon and the site of Assyria and the site of Nineveh. I mean, this is the cultural underpinnings of really like the upside-down kingdom of God in Babylon. But it's not there yet. And he doesn't want you to kind of disassociate yourself from from the group of people that are building the building because he wants you to recognize the connection. Like, I kind of build like that sometimes. I kind of build potentially a little bit with him at the center and also me at the center a little bit. And that can kind of oscillate back and forth. And so he comes down and he addresses it. And, and if you really look at it, what's the issue? Is the issue that they're trying to get to God? No. Is the issue that they're trying to be significant and have a name for themselves? No, that's, that's embedded into the human you know, creation, like what humans are supposed to be in their DNA. He says, no, the problem is, is that they haven't consulted my plan. That's ultimately the crux of the thing. I mean, there's probably other things, and God sees the long-haul picture, but at the end of the day, the verse only says this. If the people have the same language, they will create a unity. They will trust each other rather than trust in God, and they will use the power, which is a powerful thing, the power of unity, whether it be hook or by crook or by bullying or by sticks or by carrots, They're going to use incentives to try and get the people together to rally over one culture and one language. They'll build something and then nothing will be impossible to them to their own ruin. 
And so God's not intimidated or competing with this thing. He's just coming down and he's saying, y'all didn't build it to the plan. And there's just, I'm, it's not about arrogance. It's just about rightness. Your plan can't be better than my plan just by nature of who you are. You're not going to head in the right direction if you're walking without me. If you're building something without me, it's not going to last. It's not going to be as good. And so I'm not here to compete with your plan. Trust me, it's a little tiny sandcastle. It doesn't offend me. But I'm not going to let you live in your plan, you know? And that's where I think it needs to hit us in one way at least. Like we wake up with our plans. We do. We do. I don't care if you're a slow person, a morning person, a coffee person. By 10 o'clock, we all got our plan. We don't know where it comes from sometimes. It's like, I'm stressed about this, and so this needs to get fixed, and this and then there's priorities that happen in our mind, and sometimes they're right, and sometimes they're wrong, but either way, man has his plans. We wake up, and we are not short of plans. We are ambitious, and if you give humans credit for anything, they're doers. They do stuff, they're building their little ants down there, and we're doing stuff, but oftentimes it's saying, but, if, but it's not consulting on my plans. This is the deal. God said very clearly, these are the five things that humans should be doing. They should be multiplying. They should be fruitful. They should rule and subdue, and they should fill the earth. God's plan was not to build vertically. It was to build horizontally, and that's nothing against skyscrapers or bricks. That's not the point. The point is, is that God did not create a, a, a community or a people to be uh, uniform. He created them to have unity in Jesus Christ. That was his intent from the very beginning. That was his plan. And so the problem is, uh, is, that, is that, that man has, has decided to try and accomplish what he thinks is God's ends by their own means. I want you to look at Acts chapter 2 as we look at kind of a New Testament juxtaposition of this, but I believe this picture shows us uh, a counter-narrative to Babel. And I believe that this picture shows us um, what the people that were gathered at that place in Shinar really were trying to build and, and failed to build because they didn't trust God to see it built. We're all builders. People are builders. What are we building and what are we building with? This is what God it's maybe taking thousands of years to teach the people, but this is what God ultimately builds his Babel with or his, his temple with, let's say. This is God's temple, not with bricks, but with stone. Acts 2, verse 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost come, Pentecost just means it's a Jewish holiday, but ultimately the place overlapping in the New Testament when the Holy Spirit comes upon his church and green lights the church, activates it, makes it ready for its purpose, makes us ready for our purpose today because of the Holy Spirit being in our midst this morning. It says they were all together with one, in one place. See, it's not necessarily bad to be unified, to have unity. He told them to wait there. But the difference is, is they listened to God and obeyed the command rather than doing it on their own. They were people of faith. They were the 120 gathered in the upper room, and so they were waiting, but not for long. They were not gathered for long because it says in verse 2, suddenly a sound like a blowing violent wind, that's the Holy Spirit, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then in verse 3 it says, they, seemed, uh, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. So if we were to see in, in the supernatural, you guys know that there's invisible stuff. There really is. There's invisible stuff. And it's not just Stranger Things stuff. It's real. And there's invisible stuff that's going on. And sometimes even more important than the things that we see. And if we saw, what you would see is that people that are that are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, that have been born again, people that have gone from death to life and, and know Jesus, have, have, a, have a Holy Spirit that sometimes looks like a fire. And maybe we would see, if we could see, there'd be fire above, above some of our heads. Is that crazy? Y'all want to leave right now? Because is that, you know, heretical? I don't know. Uh, it's not. It's right out of the Bible. And so we would be seeing the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit is no longer in a box. It's in the believer. And everywhere we go, it's trying to say it's not just in, a, in this place that we gather in one spot, but rather the Holy Spirit is in each of us and we're all sent on mission in very specific stone-like, not brick-like ways to walk out of our gifts what the Holy Spirit does in each of us that are unique. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm Chinese. Did you know that? My last name is Wong. 
uh, and I'm not from here, you know? And so I'm going to be different from you. That's okay. Like, I'm not a brick, and neither are you. And the Holy Spirit's going to shine through that like a stained glass window. It's not going to look like the Third Reich. It's going to look like a family. It's going to look like other people, different people, doing different things from different sides. Is that going to be more difficult? Yeah, absolutely. Way more difficult. Uh, you know, there's a church strategy out there. We're going to, you know, assimilate everybody and have everybody say the same words and sing the same songs. Everybody's got to look like the pastor and all that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, you could do that, but that's not what God wants. Because he says we're not gathered around a fire. We're gathered around the Prince of the Holy Spirit. And each of us has little flames. Each of us are the, are the walking out-of-the-box God. I mean, God inside of us, rather, is, is, is out-of-the-box inside of us, and we're walking around with him inside of us. That's the vision. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Get this. Verse 5, they were saying in Jerusalem and all the God-fearing Jews, catch this, from every nation under heaven. You think the Bible maybe like thought about the language that it wanted to use in this? He took it right out of Babel. It's like, you really had to say that every, I mean, Eskimos were there, God? You're telling me that there was Jews from Eskimo and they happened to be at this Pentecost. Yeah, that's what it says. Because God's plan is not going to be revoked and, and the humans tried to do it thousands of years ago and now it's like he's going to do it when he's going to do it. He just did his plan. He brought, he brought all the nations under, under one language, which is the language of heaven, not the language of English, right? And so it's all called together. And listen to this. Ask yourself this question. When, when the Holy Spirit came, did everybody need to learn one language or did the Holy Spirit speak to each person in their own language? Did, God have, did people have to build a tower to get up to him or did God come down to meet every nation right where it is? Is it harder? Yeah. Does it take more time? Absolutely. Does it represent power, the authority of God, and what God is ultimately doing in the earth to build with stones and not bricks? Living stones but not bricks? 100%. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. All the God-fearing Jews, coincidentally, under heaven were there. Verse 6, when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, and because each of them heard in their own language what was being spoken, they asked, how could this be? That's exactly what Mary said when she got pregnant, by the way, uh, with Jesus. A couple thoughts for you today. His plans versus our plans. Genesis 11 and Acts chapter 2. I like to gather. I like to be with people that are like me. I like to be with people that the rules are all set up and the codes and the systems and like I don't have to learn. You know the Chinese uh, pronoun for like him and her is koi? Just one word. And it's, you know, like in my... In, in, I'm a multi-generational family. My mom is from Indiana. My dad's from Hong Kong. I used to laugh at my dad like, dude, you've been in this country for 35 years. Stop saying that she works at a church. That's not cool, dude. Stop it, you know? Did you ever think that like, maybe there was something in the differences of languages that God intended that maybe I could learn from that and say, huh, I wonder if we, you know, saw people as people, you know, as image bearers of God before we started to categorize them. Like, maybe that's a good idea. Like, maybe the languages are there important for a reason. I don't want to do with that. I like to gather. I like to be with my people, for my people, me and my tribe. I like to gather. I like it when it's all scheduled and all the routines. And I don't, I don't want my kids going to some other crazy school where the culture is different because that might change the thing. And I don't want to go out of the box. And, and from the beginning, he's always said to go. He's always said to go and make nations. He's always said to, to go and make disciples, to go places that you're not used to, to not being the king of the heap, to making yourself a learner again having to listen, having to bring the gospel to somebody else's language rather than asking them to come and learn yours. That's the tension, right? That's the tension. Easier to build up where you are. Come over to my house. As long as you're over here, everything will be great. He says, nah, I'm going to scatter you. You're going to be weak. You're going to be marginalized in the society. You're not going to be, 
you know, the main voice. And you're going to have to lean on me for your influence, for your clout. You're not going to be able to use your culture and your, you know, common human values. You're, I'm going to scatter you. It's different. Number two. Number two, he says, I want you to build with, 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 with stones. I, I want you to take the time with each person to figure out where they fit and take them for coffee and listen to them and understand their story. And he says to, to church leaders, you know, like you got your fancy whiteboard and you want everybody to be in the groups and everyone's going to fit and all that kind of thing. And that doesn't always happen because people are relational and they're different and it takes time to learn them. And I've made it that way so you can humble yourself and trust the Holy Spirit to be the translator and take the time to trust in what I'm building. You're building something. What are you building? What are you building with? Number three, our plan is always to go up. It's to get up there in the clouds. It's to be with, with God. But it's pretty clear. It's awesome good news this morning is that God is always passing us as we go up. Hey, where are you guys going? I'm coming down to meet you. I, I'm coming to dwell with you. I'm coming to be with you. And, and so we, we trust him, you know? Like, we... Um, we, it's not a bad thing to be, want to be close to God. I want to, be, I want to be close to God. But maybe it's, it's saying that in order to, to really meet him, then we just need to expect that he's going to speak in our language. Trust that he does. Sometimes the thing that he, he gives us, the message that we hear, we don't like so much. And that's probably why we think that we got to get on the retreat and go hear some other speaker and go to the next thing. And, and you know, we don't like what God is saying, so we're trying to go, like, maybe we get another word, go somewhere else. He's talking to you right now. John 10 says that uh, my sheep know my voice and they can hear me. And you don't need to hear me to hear God. You don't even need to be here to hear God. You can hear God. I want to encourage you, if anyone's ever told you, any moment in time has ever robbed from you, the prospect of being able to hear God, that's a precious God-ordained thing. Don't let anyone take it from you. You can hear God's voice. He's come down to you to speak in your own language. I want to show a quick video that kind of like gives some visuals, I think, to what we're talking about this morning. It's just so funny how the technology you know, impedes on the way that God really advances humanity and wants to advance humanity. I used to work in the school system. People were like, give them some Chromebooks. They need some more computers. They need more screens in front of them. They're going to learn better if you give them the computers. I'm a teacher, and if you're a teacher, you know, the computers don't teach, pe- don't teach people, right? I love church technology, and there's, you know, church apps that's like, let's do church online and all that kind of things, and I think church apps can help get communication from A to B, but they will never replace ministry. They'll never replace us being together. They'll never replace, replace us forgiving each other and entering into conflict and hard things. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to take time. It's supposed to be messy. This is what I think that the passage is saying. Is we're not bricks, we're stones. When you build with stones, there's different blueprints and there's different methods that go on. Just watch this quick video that has to do with the medical profession. I think it really paints a bright, vivid picture. A couple minutes. My older daughter, Lainey, was born prematurely. She was born at 35 weeks. And I think that's where the problem of preterm birth became very personal for me. I love delivering babies. But it doesn't always go right. When babies come too soon, or too small. They have lifelong consequences. Here in South Carolina, the preterm birth rates are similar to many countries that are in dire poverty, except it's right here at home. When we think about improvements in healthcare, we think about 
the latest and greatest medication. We think about innovations in surgery, but what's really interesting and unique about Sunring is that it's not high tech at all. It's about women connecting with each other and how that social support can impact the gene expression in their placenta is really just a profound idea. When the women arrive at group, the first thing they do is they take their own weight and they take their own blood pressure. So they're responsible for their own health. Next, they see the provider who listens to the heartbeat for the baby. Then we circle up. Right here for all of us. This is how we all feel right now. Right here. So the idea is not to be lecturing to patients, but instead to let the women teach each other. I'm expecting a boy. I feel like, you know, confident, sharing ideas, and I feel loved, and I'm ready. It's been great to have a group to hold me accountable for my healthcare decisions um, outside of my medical professional, my peers, um, checking in on me, make sure I'm doing the healthy things for my pregnancy and for the baby. I've never had anybody to stand next to me and be there, so it makes me feel like I can actually accomplish something. We found the same positive outcomes when we looked at 100 patients, at 300 patients, at 1,000 patients. Our rates of preterm birth were staying right at 8%, which is almost a 50% reduction. The research that we have on the outcomes in our practice has convinced Medicaid and the insurance companies to invest in obstetric practices in South Carolina to change the way prenatal care is delivered to women in our state. All right, her head's out. We did it. I just play the video as a. Um, the current model of. I just play the video as as a, as a picture. Um, yeah, I mean the people that I see, both the mom and the, and the kids, and the story are, are made more much more of stone than they are of brick for sure. And and um, and did you hear that the the percentage was from fifty percent of a of a dropage rate of pre premature births because of face to face interaction was the point. That the the circles were designed in ways that the women could support each other and and you know the babies um, ultimately have kind of what I guess nurses will call skin-to-skin skin, skin skin, uh, kind of connection with, with their parent can, can never be replaced or, or duplicated. Uh, a powerful thought for, for sure. And, um, and so anyways, the, the, the point of, of, of the video and the point of the passage, I believe, is, is to see um, that people are made of, um, of, of stone and not brick. And, uh, and that they can't be mass-produced. And, and so the power of God and the and the plans of God can't be re-engineered or substituted by what, what man does. Um, here's a verse that I think collects it all up pretty well. It comes in uh, uh, Psalm 127, verse 1. It says this, that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And uh, through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, it's, it's a clear and, and consistent pattern that God is building, that men are builders and women are builders and we build, but ultimately nothing replaces what, um, what ultimately God is building, which is the church of God, the family of God, which is 
uh, the temple of God being built up one by one, uh, all nations and all tribes and all tongues um, under, under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. And so the intentional question I have for us this morning is, how do you build with God? And how are you building with God? What are the means and what is the, the end game and the blueprints of what you're building? Are, th- are you building with stone or, or bricks? Are you building uh, to gather or to scatter? Are you building to climb up to him or to trust him to meet you uh, right where you are? I'm going to invite the band to come forward as we um, kind of respond. And uh, I'll invite you to stand as well um, as we pray. Um, I thought it would be uh, appropriate this morning from that verse to, um, to pray that he, would, uh, that he would build up um, our little C church and as well as the big C church. Does that sound like a good idea? Um, so as the band comes forward, um, I think it's just an opportunity to respond to this text, to see a promise in the text that uh, God is still with us. He is amongst us. And he uh, has, has a plan and a purpose um, for not just us as individuals, but us as a community, as a church, as a family. And so uh, let's just pray for a moment as we kind of respond to the text this morning. Um, So Lord Jesus, I thank you for each and every heart and mind that's gathered here that hears your voice, that has a unique story, that has a name. I thank you, God, that right now you're teaching us our name. You're continuing to show us Sometimes the names that others have put on us and the names that we give ourselves, but most importantly, what you have called us, called us each by name. And um, I pray specifically from this place um, and in just this corporate faith as we are gathered here uh, in this morning, we just want to take the opportunity to bless you and thank you for naming us, for remembering us. And we support our brothers and sisters here and around the world to come to know their name. So incredibly important to come to know the name that our Father gives us. And uh, I just challenge you wherever you are to uh, receive that and uh, to live, to live in that name, to live in what God says about you. And Father, as we kind of even close up this little segment of scripture, uh, we just say yes and amen to your scripture. We believe that it's in the book, then it's true. And if it's a, a plan that's either happened or it's about to happen. And so, God, I thank you for your plan that you are going to build up an enduring, lasting, full, beautiful, pure, and spotless bride for the reward of your son, Jesus. And I thank you that you are not just calling individuals, but families and tribes and tongues and nations, and we declare it beautiful. We accept the nations as a gift and not as a burden. We accept multiple languages, not as an obstacle, but as an opportunity. We thank you, God, that uh, the place that you have put us in is only to reveal how good you are. And so I thank you, God, that although the world has said that nations are only for warfare and for, um, or for empire and for takeover, God, we thank you that the nations were designed for you. They were created by you and for you and through you. And we just declare that your nations will come to know you at that, at that, at that end time at the day of the Lord. And so, God, uh, for our church, for our lower sea church, just for our role, it's a, it's a beautiful opportunity. And we, we just rest. Man, if there's somebody here that feels like they're behind and stuck, just know that that God has you exactly where he wants you and that he is leading you into your next step. And so we receive that as a church. We don't have to feel like we need to be any further on than we are. We are right where we need to be to build the building that God wants to build. So God, would you build in us through living stones something that will last and endure and give you glory and honor. We thank you that it's going to be better um, than the bricks of Babel. It is going to be um, a very temple of the Holy Spirit. So we trust you in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.